I was watching the FIBA World Cup on early Sunday morning, and Dylan Brooks made one two one three pointer. Then he made two three pointers. Then he made three. Then he made four. Then he made five. And then I started wondering: Did the Grizzlies give up on the vet a little bit too soon? Is it possible? This isn't something we've really talked about. But let's get into it right here, right now, coming up on Locked On Grizzlies. You are locked on Grizzlies. Your daily Memphis Grizzlies podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. going on everyone and welcome back to locked on grizzlies i am your host today demichael cole beat writer for the commercial appeal right here in memphis tennessee want to appreciate you and thank you again to tuning in to locked on grizzlies with us as we hit the stretch run here we made it to september and uh we're about to start turning it up a notch a little bit more here we've been going three episodes a week over the past few weeks but slowly we're about to get more and more into the groove as it gets closer to the season remember uh the grizzlies uh Preseason media day will be October 2nd. And from that point on, we're going to hit the ground running. But appreciate you guys for tuning in on today. Make sure you continue to tune in and listen everywhere. Uh, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen or watch podcasts, Locked on Grizzlies is there. We got a loaded episode for you today. A lot to talk about, a lot to talk about, and pretty much primarily FIBA coverage as we wrap up that side of things on today. If you're on YouTube, you see our three bullet points here. And if you're not, I'm going to run down with them, run down, run them down with you real fast. We're going to talk about Dylan Brooks and his performance against Team USA on Sunday morning, as I alluded to in the opening. We're going to grade Jaron Jackson Jr.'s FIBA World Cup performance, and then we'll grade Santi Aldama and what he did in the FIBA World Cup. So all in all, a lot to talk about on today, but we got to start with the former Grizzly Dylan Brooks. I'm going to talk about Jaron. We're going to talk about Santi because those are the guys, you know, for those who like to focus on what the Grizzlies do have, uh, those are the guys who will be on the Grizzlies roster this upcoming season. Dylan Brooks will not. But, as I said in the opening, this is, this is, it's, it's worth having a conversation because I've talked to some people, not directly associated with the Grizzlies on this on this subject, but just fans around the team. And some people said things like, oh, you know, did we give up on Dylan too soon? And I think it's a conversation. You can at least have the conversation. You shouldn't immediately dismiss it and say, oh, no, he is who he is. He, he, he was what he was, and the Grizzlies don't need him. At the end of the day, I, if you want me to go ahead and give my answer on the topic, I, I think that the Grizzlies made the right decision. Just to not uh, bury the lead here, I think letting go of Dylan Brooks was the right decision, and the Grizzlies are better for moving on more than likely, and Dylan Brooks will probably be in a better situation for his skill set going forward uh, down there with the Houston Rockets. But let's get back to the point. Dylan Brooks, watching him against Team USA, finished that game with 39 points. Seven made three-pointers, by the way. 39 points. Seven made three-pointers, by the way. 12 of 18 shooting from the field. And, oh, Grizzlies fans, you'll love this one. Five assists. So we're talking 39 points, five assists, 
8 of 10 from the free throw line, 12 of 18 from the field, 7 of 8 on three-pointers, 5 assists, 2 blocks of steal, plus 9 in Canada's win against Team USA, and he was big. Big shot after big shot. And it just had me wondering, how is Dylan Brooks playing so elite with Canada? I put out a tweet on Sunday, and some people, I think, were a little bit confused by my word, maybe, of, of how I worded the tweet. But I basically said, while some people were asleep because the game started at 3.45 a.m., a local time here in Memphis, while some people were asleep, Dylan Brooks did something that he'd never done with the Grizzlies. And people started pointing out, oh, you forgot the Utah playoff series. Oh, you forgot this game, that game. Like, no, actually, I didn't. I'm pretty much at every single game. So I, I remember all of those games. But with all that being said, seven three-pointers and 39 points in one game. Dylan Brooks has never done that. Not with the Grizzlies. He's never done that. But he did it on the biggest stage for, for a Canadian squad that had never meddled in a FIBA World Cup. Never. Not only did he do it in a game where they needed it, he did it against USA. Against Anthony Edwards, Jalen Brunson, Tyrese Halliburton. He did it against Mikael Bridges. Granted, that's probably Team USA's C squad, D squad maybe. But he did it against those dudes who are very, very good NBA starters. So it just got me thinking, how how was Dylan? Because this wasn't a one-game sample size. Let's, let's, let's get into Dylan Brooks' last four games with Canada. Uh, when they played Spain, remember we recapped that when they played against Santi Aldama. 22 points, 8 of 12 shooting, 3 of 3 on 3 points. Uh, 14 points, 3 of 5 on 3 points against Slovenia. Against Serbia, 16 points, 5 of 12 shooting, 3 of 8 on 3 points. All those games, he was super efficient. That's all you Grizzlies fans have asked for. Efficiency from Dylan Brooks for the past few years. And this, this is a four-game sample size, so very small sample size. But we just saw Dylan Brooks shoot 16 of 24 over a four-game stretch in three-point. If he does half of that, if he goes, what, 10 of 24 in, from three-point range against the Lakers in the playoffs, talking about a completely different series. Woo, we're talking about a completely different series if he did that against the Lakers in the playoffs. Remember, it got bad to the point where the Lakers just left Dylan Brooks wide open. Team USA couldn't just leave Dylan Brooks wide open because he shot seven of eight. Slovenia couldn't do that. Serbia couldn't do that. Spain couldn't do that. So I started thinking about it. What, what? Listening to what Dylan Brooks has said to me over the past couple years, watching the film, watching the game, because at the end of the day, if you remember, his end-of-the-season press conference, uh, end-of-the-season presser with the Grizzlies, Dylan Brooks basically said the Grizzlies had him playing a role you know, that, that wasn't conducive to his skill set. But when I watched him with Canada, it wasn't too much different. But it was different. It had me thinking maybe DB was right. You know, he, he, with Spain, yes, Shea Gilgis Alexander dominated the ball kind of like John Morant would with the Grizzlies. But we saw Dylan Brooks get pick-and-roll opportunities. We saw Dylan Brooks, you know, dribble two or three times and get into his, you know, off-the-dribble three-point shot, which he was knocking down with consistency. Didn't get a lot of that 
when the Grizzlies were at full health. And emphasis on when they were at full health because when Ja went down, Dez or Tyson, whatever the case may be, Dylan Brooks had a bigger offensive role, and he did some of the things uh, that we saw with the Canadian national team. But all in all, Dylan Brooks was mainly a spot-up 3-and-D guy this past season, and it was a role. Uh, yes, he did it for the betterment of the team. He talked about making that sacrifice. But he also said it very clearly that that role was not the best for his skill set. He talked about how the Grizzlies didn't draw up plays for him. Well, guess what? Canada made it an emphasis to get him involved. It was an emphasis to get him involved. And, and this is just the offensive end. We we know about the defense. Dylan Brooks won the defense best defensive player award in the FIBA World Cup. So the defense is still what it is. Uh, we're going to talk more about that probably on a future episode because I think me and Joe got some good things we can say uh, regarding Dylan Brooks' defense. But then there's the, the psych to this as well. We talked about this was over this four-game stretch. You know that first game was against over the four-game stretch? I said it earlier. You might not remember. It was against Spain. First game of that four-game stretch, stretch was against Spain. Well, that's Santi Aldama. Who did Dylan Brooks want to play against more than anyone in his time? Words out of his own mouth. Santi Aldama, Jaron Jackson Jr. I don't think it's a coincidence. You, you, you may think it's a coincidence, but Dylan Brooks scored over 20 points twice in the FIBA World Cup. Scored 22 against Spain, 8 of 12 shooting, 3 of 3 on three-pointers. Scored 39 against USA, 12 of 18. Even though Jaron Jackson Jr. didn't play. But guess what? That was something that Dylan himself pointed out. He said he wanted Jaron Jackson Jr. to play. And, you know, he hopes he's well. If I don't think we touched on it yet, but we'll touch on it a little bit in next episode, Jaron Jackson Jr. and FIBA. But he didn't play in that game due to an illness uh, in the third-place game. But with all that being said, Dylan wanted to go against Jaron. He wanted to go against Santi Aldama. He wanted those former Grizzlies. And guess what? He'll get them four times next season. And I've already talked about the trash talk between Dez and Dylan while we were out there in Las Vegas. And, and they're talking about what they're going to do to each other in a little friendly banner, a little trash talk. It's going to be fun. Because you, you you think Dylan Brooks ain't going to get up extra for those games? You got another thing coming. All in all, Dylan Brooks just put together a great stretch of play. I know some Grizzlies fans out there were saying, man, where was that against the Lakers? Some were saying, oh, it reminded them against, of that series uh, against the Utah Jazz where I think Dylan averaged around 25 points and shot very efficiently from the field. But at the end of the day, uh, Dylan's, Dylan looks like, at least in, in, in now, granted, Dylan, Dylan looked good. Dennis Stroder. I mean, looks like a, a top 10 point guard in the FIBA World Cup. Like certain role players in the NBA get different roles in the FIBA World Cup. And, you know, these things happen. Bogdan Bogdanovich looked looked unguardable at times for Serbia. But he's going to go back to, you know, his role with the Hawks. And he's going to be coming off the bench more than likely. So at the end of the day, these guys get bigger roles in these environments and take advantage of it. Maybe that's what Dylan did. Or maybe, just maybe. The Grizzlies will be second-guessing their decision to let the six-year vet go. But coming up on Lockdown Grizzlies, we're going to talk about a guy that the Grizzlies ain't letting go no time soon, and that's Jaron Jackson Jr. and his performance at the FIBA World Cup. But before we get to that, I want to talk to you about Ibotta. Because, look, if you're picking up burgers and hot dogs for some of the barbecue, 
well, you, you're already doing it. So why not get cash back for it with iBottle? And look, what about if you, you want some clothes, you know, for the summer or the fall is on the way? You you want some new clothes, but your, but your closet shouldn't be the only thing growing when you make those purchases because that's a lot of money you spend if you want some new clothes. Uh, you, can, you can watch your cash grow back with eat purchase with Ibotta. Ibotta gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods. So you can make sure you are beating inflation no matter what your purchase. Either link your loyalty account or upload your receipt after you shop and you can get cash back. It's just that simple. It is just that simple. If you want to go shopping, look, other apps, they give you points. Don't really amount to much. With Ibotta, you get real cash back that you can cash out to your bank account, PayPal, or gift cards. Right now, Ibotta is offering listeners just $5. $5 for trying out Ibotta by using the code LOCKED. That's L-O-C-K-E-D when you register. Just go to the App Store or your Google Play Store right now and download the free Ibotta app and use the code LOCKED. Again, that's Ibotta, I-B-O-T-T-A, in the Google Play or App Store and use the promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D. Thank you for tuning in to Locked on Grizzlies. And coming up next, we're going to talk about Jaron Jackson Jr. We're going to grade his performance at the FIBA World Cup. Welcome back to Locked on Grizzlies, everyone. I am your host, the Michael Cole, beat writer for Commercial Appeal in Memphis, Tennessee. Talking to you about all things Grizzlies. In the first segment, we focused on Dylan Brooks and his performance at the FIBA World Cup because he was he was really good in that setting. But, um... Jaron Jackson Jr.'s performance left a little bit more to be desired. And we've talked a lot about it. You know, me and Joe Mullinex have got on here. We've talked about Jaron Jackson Jr. and his minutes at center. We've talked about how, you know, his role with Team USA was sort of different than his role with the Grizzlies. So at the end of the day, how do we grade what we saw uh, from Jaron in the FIBA World Cup? We're going to do it simple. Not going to get into the schematics like we have pretty much over the last couple of weeks. It's just going to go offense, defense, and then we're just going to give it an overall grade for what Jaron did at the FIBA World Cup. Going to start with offense. Uh, I want to focus on a little bit of the things that Jaron did in his role uh, for Team USA. Offensively, he wasn't really asked to do too much. Set screens, uh, very high efficient shots. Every now and then, he'd do a trail three, pick and pop three. Uh, either of those, but for the most part, it was dunks, layups around the rims on dump offs, uh, occasional isolation. But he didn't have a big role scoring wise on Team USA. If I just go through his shot attempts in each of the eight games that Team USA played, check this out he had four shot attempts against New Zealand, three against Greece, then it goes seven, five, three. Three, four. Never had more than seven shot attempts in any game. And even if you take away the one game that he did have the seven shot attempts, didn't have more than five in any other game, despite being the starting center, despite being a big man who was an all-star this past season, despite being a big man who's known for having one of the uh, best skill sets. When you just talk about skills, dribble, pass, shoot uh, for big, one of the best skill sets for a 6'11 guy in the NBA right now, but wasn't really a focal point uh, offensively, even three-point shooting-wise. It, it was to the point, I think, early on, 
in the tournament, we saw him take four three-pointers over a two-game stretch against Greece and Jordan. After that, took three three-pointers in the last four games that he played. Seven three-point shots total, shot two of seven on seven three-point attempts. So even that part of his game, which with the Grizzlies, I mean, we probably see Jaron Jackson Jr. take seven three-pointers in a game casually. But it was different. It was a different offensive role. I credit him for trying to adjust to the role, do do what's best for the team. And with Jaron playing this different role, it showed in the numbers. For example, he shot 62% from the field and, and shot 18 of 29 over the course of the FIBA World Cup. If you would have told me Jaron Jackson Jr. shot 62% from the field, I would have said, man, he must have averaged 15, 16 points a game. Because if you watch his role with the Grizzlies, he isn't as efficient from a field goal percentage perspective because it's so many three-pointers, because there's a lot of isolation, you know, uh, hook shots, one-on-one, uh, a, a lot of that. But – with this team, with Team USA, it wasn't much of that at all. He basically was used like a rim-running big man, just set this screen, roll to the rim, pick and pop occasionally, and that's your offensive role. I think he did all right on that end. Uh, offensive rebounding, is it, it was what it was. We've talked a lot about rebounding. Uh, three games I think Jaron had with zero offensive rebounds. He had two and another, three and another, and one offensive rebound in two games. So uh, offensive rebounding, again, it, it wasn't really a strength for him as well over the course. I think he played he played in seven games for Team USA and had seven offensive rebounds. So one one offensive rebound per game is what Team USA got out of Jaron. So I'm, I'm going to give his offensive performance – uh, I'll I'll give it a C a C plus. I give it a C plus, bordering bordering on just an, a C because it, it was pretty average. It wasn't much that stood out, but he was efficient from a shot making standpoint. And granted, when you play for Team USA, you really don't want your bigs, I guess, taking from the guards. And Jaron definitely, you know, let the guards do their thing on this team. And you know, it's a good idea because. In any given year, those guards could be Devin Booker, Jason Tatum, Damian Lillard, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, uh, and so forth. But this season, this year, you know, Tyrese Halliburton, Jalen Brunson, Anthony Edwards, and so forth, which is still really good. But um, at the end of the day, it's completely understandable why Jaron took a lesser offensive role, and he did all right in that role. Now, defensively, things were a little bit different. Foul trouble creeped up for Jaron at certain times. And he fouled out of two games, fouled out against Lithuania, fouled out against New Zealand. And also, again, had another game with three fouls. Overall, 2.7 fouls uh, per game. And minutes-wise, he just – I mean, again, USA likes to distribute their minutes between guys. But uh, for the most part, he didn't top 20 minutes over the course of the World Cup in the seven games that he did play average 16 and a half minutes uh with some foul trouble sprinkled in there and the foul trouble basically became because of the role he was put in i think defensively it was hard for jaron to be that roman shot blocker we're used to seeing check this out we're talking about a guy who's paced the nba in blocks per game the last two seasons getting the opportunity to play in a feeble world cup where it's not even a three defensive three he can just plant his feet and say come to me i thought jaron could average three or four blocks in this environment, turns out he didn't even average one. 
a little under one to be exact, 0.9 blocks per game for Jerry Jackson Jr. In fact, had the same amount of blocks as steals. That just ain't what you see from Jaren. But, it's but again, it's because of the role. When you put him at center, uh, for one, it, it was easier for teams, uh, for the countries, to, to bring Jaren away from the basket. We, we talked about how Germany did it to a T. Uh, they just brought Jaren away from the basket and attacked the rim because there wasn't any other shot blocking on the floor of a Team USA. When he's at center, it's easier to bring him away from the basket. Then, on top of that, when he's at center – uh, he can't play that roaming role like he did with the Grizzlies at power forward. Remember, um, the reason he's able to play that roaming role in part is because you got Steven Adams, who is, uh, by all accounts, a very good defender, a very good rim protector on his own. So you can say, hey, Jaren, go block a shot at the three-point line. Go block a shot at the free throw line. Go block a shot anywhere on the court. Because guess what? If you're not at the rim – they still got to get past Steven Adams. <laughs> if he wasn't at the rim for Team USA, he just got to get past 6'5", Josh Hart. Great defender, great position defender, but you got to get past Mikael Bridges, 6'7", long arms, but not Jaron Jackson Jr. when it comes to blocking the ball and protecting the rim. So it was a little bit easier for teams at that point. But basically, basically with putting Jaron at the center also – uh, since he wasn't able to roam, you put him more in a man-to-man situation. That's when he had to guard Nikola Vucevic one-on-one for Montenegro, or he had to guard Jonas Valanciunas one-on-one for Lithuania. And in each of those situations, there was some foul trouble. There was some foul trouble, especially against Jonas, because it's pump fakes. It's one-on-one. It's 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 not the role that we see him play with the Grizzlies. You're not going to see a lot of power forwards in today's NBA going back to the basket, and you just got to hold your ground one-on-one in post-defense. Jaron can do that. He's proven he can do that. But it's not his defensive strength. It's not a weakness by any stretch. But being put in those situations makes him more prone to foul, and we saw the ricochet effect of that on his defensive performance. Overall, I give his defensive performance a B. Um I think uh, the defensive rebounding left some things to be desired when you talked about the weaknesses of it and the foul trouble. But still, even though he didn't block as many shots, uh, blocks and steals combined, he was very active over the course. There was only one game that he didn't have a block or a steal, and it was against Italy in a game that he pretty much only played 11 minutes because of some early foul trouble, and then the game was a blowout in the second half, so he didn't really need to come back in that much. But that's the only game. Uh, where he didn't have a steal or block. So he still was active defensively, just wasn't, you know, the Jaron Jackson A-plus level of active. I'll give it a B overall. Next, we're going to grade Santi Aldama coming up on Locked on Grizzlies. Welcome back to Locked on Grizzlies, everyone. I am DeMichael Cole, beat writer for the Commercial Appeal right here in Memphis, Tennessee. want to appreciate you for tuning in to Locked on Grizzlies on today. Make sure you continue to tune in to Locked on Grizzlies. Recapping the show so far, we talked about Dylan Brooks how he went off against Team USA, and it just had me thinking, big picture, um, how that mattered for the Grizzlies. We also talked about Jaron Jackson Jr., graded his uh, FIBA World Cup performance offensively and defensively, and now we're going to do the same for Santi Aldama. Santi Aldama showed some stuff to me. I think the best way to put it, the simplest way to put it is, Santi Aldama entered the FIBA World Cup as kind of an under-the-radar 
a name you mentioned in passing with Spain. When you think Spain, think Rudy Fernandez, Victor Claver. Uh, you, you think Ricky Rubio, who wasn't, you know, playing in the FIBA World Cup. But you think all of these long-term legends, even before Santi names come up, you got the Hernan Gomez uh, brothers, Willie Hernan Gomez, Juancho Hernan Gomez. Those guys all come up. We think Spain basketball before Santi Aldama. My takeaway from the FIBA World Cup is that won't be the case anymore. That won't be the case anymore. That that boy Shanti, Santi showed some things. Now, watching the Grizzlies, I'm a little bit more familiar with his skill set. And even, you know, he has a nice fan base in Spain. But, again, he's kind of not the first name that comes to mind. But he showed some stuff. Going Just recapping his performance, he averaged over 11 points per game, 11.2 points. 4.2 rebounds per game, but it's not just that. 56% from the field shooting, around 30, 35.7% on three-pointers, which is right on par with his NBA numbers. Uh, so I think you can pretty much conclude from this performance that Santi, Santi is a guy who's going to be around for a while, and his role is probably only going to get bigger from here. And the 11.2 points even came with a dud came in there. Remember against Lafayette? He was kind of taken out of the lineup. We'll get to why as we break down the offense and the defense here in a little bit. But let's let's switch it up. I'm going to start defense with Santi since I'm, I'm doing all these bragging points. Let's bring them down a little bit because uh, defensively is still where Santi needs to improve. And granted, I think with Santi on the defensive end, because when I say he needs to improve, I think the potential is there for Santi to be a really good NBA defender, really good FIBA World Cup defender because at the end of the day, a lot of guys at 6'10", 6'11", 7' foot like Santi Aldama can't move like he can. And that bodes well because when these guards try to put these switches against these big men with slow feet, Santi ain't one of those guys. Santi can hold his own on the island. But now it's just about building that strength up. We saw him in isolations with Dylan Brooks. And as I said in last episode, Dylan Brooks going straight into the chest of Santi Aldama told me everything I need to know without Dylan Brooks saying a word. That was Dylan Brooks' way of saying, I know exactly how to attack this guy because I played two seasons with him. I'm going to go straight in his chest. I'm going to finish through. Dylan Brooks is, you know, he, he drives the basketball, and typically I'm used to Dylan Brooks pulling up in the mid-range area, or he'll, he'll go to the rim uh, when he has a layup. Uh, to the right or left side, but he's not really an elevator like that. So it's not really something that I see him at least just being so aggressive with with the way he when he saw Asante. It's like he saw food on the table. He went straight at him. So all that's saying is strength. We need to see more from Santi Aldama from a strength perspective uh, going forward on the defensive end of the floor. But the skill is there. I think the way he can move, uh, stands out to me. Overall, in the World Cup, he did average a block per game. Uh, had a three block. He had a game with three blocks, and he had a game with two blocks. So that kind of boosted it up because he played five games and had five blocks. But he had three games with no blocks as well. He had a couple steals. So you want to see more uh, on that end as well. So overall, I'll give his defensive performance in the tournament a C, and a C because. He was pretty much average on that end. And I said earlier, I was going to allude to what happened in that Lavia game. And 
He only played eight minutes, two points, zero one shooting. And it was like, what? What happened? What 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 happened? Why why wasn't he on the floor? Well, you go back and watch. Uh there was a belief on Spain's side that they had better defenders than Santiago Dalmo because it wasn't because of his offense. If you go to his offense the previous two games before, it was 15 and 11 points. Defensively, uh, he was taken out of the rotation, only played eight minutes, pretty much didn't uh, factor in in the second half. So it was to the point where he was taken off the floor defensively despite his strong offense. And speaking of that offense, much better grade than the defense. And Santi's offense, he he just like Dylan Brooks did in his final game, uh, Santi went out strong. 20 points against Canada, 8 of 12 shooting, 4 of 7 on three-pointers. It was his best game of the tournament. And a lot of that was while being guarded by Dylan Brooks, mind you. Uh, we talk about how Dylan Brooks knows his game. He knows his game on that end, of the end, too. And it didn't work out too well like it did for him attacking Santi on offense. But uh, Santi, 20 points. He played 25 minutes, which was a high for him in the World Cup in that game. And, I mean, the offensive creativity of this guy is there. Santi can be a three-level scorer legitimately, a 35.7% from three-point range in the FIBA World Cup, right on par with his NBA numbers. But to me, it was his ability, you know, he had the turnaround mid-range jumpers. He had the, the face-up mid-range jumpers, which we haven't seen much of that. Uh, seeing Santi incorporate that into his game not only bodes well for his full offensive skill set, but it takes the Grizzlies to another level. How does it take the Grizzlies to another level? One of the Grizzlies' biggest offensive weaknesses, even when you go past just raw shooting numbers, is the half-court offensive efficiency. One of the best ways to improve your half-court offense is to have more guys on the floor who can create for themselves. We talked about how the Grizzlies, uh, they added better guys, you know, offensively to, to put around their stars in terms of more shooting, having guys like Luke Kennard on the floor, Marcus Smart can get hot from three-point range. Derrick Rose, recent shooting numbers of the past couple years have been really good. But overall, overall, you still need more shot creating. And and you're not going to get a lot of that probably from Marcus Smart. Derrick Rose is very capable of that, but he's not as explosive as he used to be. Santi Aldama, when you talk about internal improvement, Santi Aldama is a guy that could potentially give the Grizzlies uh, that three-level scoring. He's a guy you can give the ball to him on the block and say it's five seconds on the shot clock, make your move, and, and get us a, a bucket. He's a guy who could potentially do that. We saw him do that for Spain in stretches. So overall, again, I'll grade Santi Aldama. I think he had uh, right on par with Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks probably had the best uh, FIBA World Cup tournament of the three players. Jaron probably had the worst, but again, it's more about the fit, I think. Jaron's going to go back to the Grizzlies and ho-hum continue exactly what he did last season because he's going to be in a completely different role. And Santi Aldama, he was great in his role for Spain, and he made himself a name that people will recognize going forward. Thank you for tuning in to Locked On Grizzlies today. Make sure you continue to tune in to Locked On Grizzlies. Me and Joe Monac should be back with you for the next episode of Locked On Grizzlies. I think there's some more meat on the bone to talk about what Dylan Brooks did uh, for the Grizzlies. We're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk a little bit deeper into what's going on with the rest of the team. FIBA World Cup is over now, so we got to talk about the rest of the Grizzlies and what those guys have done. But thank you for tuning in to Locked On Grizzlies. Remember, it's free and available wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, I'm DeMichael Cole. We'll see you on Locked on Christmas.